Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one, Midday Wednesday, December the 22nd, 2021. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, back with you here on the podcast. we got a lot of things to get into as we take you into the Christmas holiday. We're going to talk some Alabama football, of course, as the Crimson Tide continues to prepare for that Cotton Bowl matchup with the Cincinnati Bearcats on New Year's Eve on campus work continues this week for Nick Saban's team. So we'll get into some Alabama football talk, probably as much as anything, an addition or two for this Alabama football team since we last spoke. The transfer portal, kind to the Crimson side here in recent days, is Jameer Gibbs, previously of Georgia Tech, the dynamic running back who Alabama was very much involved with a couple of classes ago, as you might recall. Some interesting nuggets from our publisher, Tim Watts, in relation to this situation involving Jameer Gibbs, going back to Gibbs's time as a recruit. So we'll get into the Jameer Gibbs edition, what he brings to the table Really a triple threat when you consider everything Jameer Gibbs can give you both offensively and in the kicking game. So a lot to get into from that perspective. Hey, we'll also talk some, eh, I wouldn't say it's way too early, Alabama-Cincinnati talk as far as matchups go. We'll look at more of maybe the premier kind of matchups that folks are going to be anticipating for that Cotton Bowl game with the Bearcats and the Crimson Tide. We'll do some of that for you as well, and we'll get into some Alabama men's basketball talk on the heels of a non-conference closing loss to the Wildcats of Davidson Tuesday night at Legacy Arena over in the ham. We warned you, didn't we warn you? We warned you both here on the podcast earlier in the week. We wrote about it in three predictions for Davidson, Alabama, leading up to Tuesday night's game. Not an easy prep when you got Bob McKillop in that five-out motion offense coming onto the schedule uh, in in short notice. So uh, Davidson, the baby-faced assassins from the Charlotte area get the job done. Alabama with a fierce comeback there very late in that game with Davidson comes up a point short after Javon Quinterly missed the second of two free throws with four seconds left. So we'll look at Alabama both in – the perspective of the Davidson game. We'll look at Alabama men's basketball from the perspective of 9-3 and three, heading into SEC play. That gets underway next week with Tennessee making a visit to Tuscaloosa. We'll do all of that with you here on the podcast on this Wednesday. Hey, just a couple of days until Christmas. Where are you at? Where are you at with the shopping? We talked about this earlier in the week. Yours truly still, still sitting in P, parked. Got to get going. I got to get this thing in drive, overdrive at this point. Look, it's not as maybe intensive as it once was when the kids were younger and I had to be a participant at least in the gifting for the young folks. Uh, They're all grown. They've all moved on. You know, I'm looking here at the mantle, the fireplace mantle at Casa de Rire. The stockings have really dwindled. We're down to two stockings. We got three kids And we've only got two stockings. We don't even have a stocking for the pup. Foo, the Pomeranian, used to have a stocking. And he's still in the house and he doesn't have one. So uh, the wife's not playing any games with the stocking anymore. Just two. Just two stockings. Uh, What do you like in your stocking, by the way? What is your sort of stocking go-to? For me, well, I got to say, anything from Peterbrook Chocolatier. 
I mean, that's grounds for divorce if I don't go there first and foremost. But in terms of old school, going back to the childhood and the formative years and things like that, that Lifesavers storybook. Remember you get that storybook, Lifesavers, where it had like five rolls of Lifesavers on each side and it would open up and you really didn't care what was inside. There would be a nice note usually from Santa or whatever. You didn't even you didn't even read it. You just went straight for those Lifesavers. I always liked that all cherry roll. You know, you could only get that a lot of years in that uh, Lifesavers Christmas storybook. You could get maybe the all butterscotch Lifesavers. I know, really dating myself here with that. And as kids, we would get stuff like, would you get like underwear and socks in your stocking? Yay. Maybe a you get a navel orange down at the bottom to kind of really fill it out. We would always get a magazine. Each of us would get a certain magazine. Kids, they used to have these things a long time ago called magazines. They were actually printed out. They weren't on the internet. They weren't uh, electronic. They were physically in-your-hand magazines. They had a magazine called Sports Illustrated many years ago that was coveted. I was a big pro wrestling fan as a kid, so I would get something like Wrestling Illustrated, you know, maybe Sports Illustrated. Uh, The old man, Pops, uh, I don't know if I should tell this or not. But it's just you and me here on the Bama Online Podcast, right? Pops would get a Playboy. He'd get a Playboy in his stocking every year. And as me and the older brother aged a little bit, we would race out into that area where the stockings and the tree and all the presents and everything were on Christmas morning. Not so much to get to, say, a bike or a ugly stick with a Daiwa bait caster on it, fishing rod rig set up, we'd run out there to get to Pops' stocking, you know, because we figured out what Pops had in his stocking was a little different than what we had in ours, our stocking back in the day. What about trees, speaking of Christmas trees? Are you a real Christmas tree person? I still like seeing the Christmas tree lots. does my heart good when I'm driving around and I see that real Christmas tree lot, that nostalgia, it'll get you every time. What about it? Artificial tree? I'm okay with the artificial tree. I just don't like the white trees, okay? I mean, try not to be so obvious about the fact that you're an artificial tree person. Get a green artificial tree. They make them now where they look just like the real trees. Maybe you're a no tree person. The tree also at Casa de Rire has dwindled in recent years. We used to have these Christmas trees that resembled something like you saw with Clark Griswold in uh, Christmas Vacation. Uh, We would have trees that size. Now the tree, it looks like the pitiful tree on, what was it, Charlie Brown's uh, Christmas? One of those? Yeah. It's a small tree. I like it smaller, though. A lot easier to get up, a lot easier to get out. I like also, when it comes to lighting the tree, I like the old school, larger bulbs that are colored. I don't like just white lights around the tree. I like the orange. I like the red, the green, the blue, even the white, and the bigger bulbs, not the little bulbs. I want those big bulbs that just absolutely drain your power bill or jack up your power bill. Now, exterior lights, I'm not Clark Griswold-esque when it comes to that. There's not 25,000 bulbs around the house here. Uh, we do some minimal type things on the exterior. And as it relates to upcoming Christmas Eve, are you a one gift 
to open on Christmas Eve person or family? Do you open maybe all the gifts? I know some people, they open everything on Christmas Eve. They do all the gifting on Christmas Eve. Maybe you don't do any gifts on Christmas Eve. Growing up, we were always we were always a one gift on Christmas Eve, and we didn't get to pick it as kids, you know. So we always knew we were going to open a gift, but it was probably going to be something like pajamas, you know. And then if that wasn't enough, okay, now put on the pajamas, and we're going to take a Polaroid of the entire family in their new pajamas. Yeah, you probably dealt with some of that as well. Enough Christmas talk here on the Bama Online Podcast. Let's get into some football and some hoops. And again, a nice Christmas present, early Christmas present for Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide. On the heels of the early signing period, Alabama adds Jameer Gibbs from Georgia Tech. One of those you sensed coming. If you've been following along on Bama online and here on the pod, certainly Tim Watts, Hank South have done a great job keeping you up to speed on the potential and possibility for additions beyond the early signing period. Jameer Gibbs was very much one of those individuals from a transfer perspective that our staff had in mind. And Again, a guy who was very much on Alabama's radar a couple of classes ago when Alabama signed Jace McClellan and Roy Dell Williams and Kyle Edwards. And ironically enough, when you look at that running back class now, uh, it's in large part the reason why you're going to see Jameer Gibbs at Alabama because you've had knee injuries in the 2021 season to McClellan and Roy Dell Williams. Kyle Edwards transferred out of the program a while back. And when you look at the 24-7 sports composite rankings for the 2020 recruiting class, you really had McClellan, Gibbs, and Williams right there in a cluster at the bottom of the top 10 running backs for that class. McClellan, according to the 24-7 sports composite rankings, the number six running back prospect. Gibbs then came in at eight, and then you had Roydell Williams at nine. So in Jameer Gibbs, you're getting a running back in that 5'11", 200-pound range. He averaged 5.2 yards per carry during his two seasons at Tech. And look, hasn't been some great Tech teams that he's been a part of. 6-16, Six and 16, I believe, the overall record for the Yellow Jackets the last two seasons. But Jameer Gibbs did have three 100-yard games for the Yellow Jackets with two of those coming in back-to-back contests against the Virginia schools of the SEC this season. He had a 125-yard receiving performance this season against a really good Pitt team, the ACC champion. Still sounds funny to say that, doesn't it? ACC champion Pitt. But Gibbs, in his two seasons on the flats, 60 receptions for 773 yards and five touchdowns. So, You're getting a guy, whether you hand it to him, whether you throw it to him, the potential for big plays are going to be there. And it doesn't end just on offense with Jameer Gibbs. What you like about him as well, really good return guy where kickoffs are concerned. He averaged 25.6 yards per run back on kickoffs during his time at Tech, including a 98-yarder for a score against Boston College just last month. So again... Different ways that you can get Jameer Gibbs involved. You know, he's kind of reminiscent, tying this in sort of to Alabama's upcoming matchup against Cincinnati. He's kind of reminiscent to Jerome Ford, a back that you lost a couple of 
uh, years ago to the aforementioned transfer portal. Of course, Ford now the featured back for the Cincinnati Bearcats, went over 1,200 rushing yards this season. And where I think Gibbs is maybe a little bit different, when you watch Jameer Gibbs, you see once he gets to the second level, it's not just about home run speed. He's got that little bit of make you miss once he gets into your secondary that helps him extend runs from, say, the 12 to 15-yard range to 25-plus. So, you know, you talk about also a guy like Jerome Ford, and this almost feels like a bounce back with Jameer Gibbs because at the time you really believed that Jameer Gibbs would be a part of this Alabama football program a couple of years ago. It almost feels like a homecoming of sorts for Jameer Gibbs. You know, I wonder if Nick Saban at some point down the road would be open to a bounce back. And I'm not talking about from a junior college going from Alabama to JC and then bouncing back, going 4-2-4 as it's known. But another four-year school, have a player start at Alabama, start out at Alabama, transfer out maybe early on in his career, and then bounce back. I don't know if Alabama would ever have a need uh, that would lead to that. But uh, we've seen it in basketball, it seems like, more so. You saw it just a couple of games ago for the Alabama men's team, Memphis uh, has a situation like that for its 2021-2022 team. So there you go, Jameer Gibbs, both offensively, and what he's going to be able to step in, more importantly right now, as a healthy option at the running back position. But again, the versatility that he's going to offer you offensively and then what you can also do with him in the kicking game, uh, very, very nice pickup for the Crimson Tide. And again, um, you know, you don't get the sense that Alabama is entirely done with the transfer portal. Could be some more action for Alabama. And I say that, once again, with the sort of expectation that you're not done seeing Alabama players on the current roster make their way elsewhere, uh, and you're not probably done seeing Alabama add to its transfer portal bounty to this point. Eli Ricks, the corner from LSU, obviously a part of that as well. It flew under the radar a little bit, but you know we are strong believers here on the podcast that specialists are, in fact, people too. And so we want to note that Alabama has added Upton Bellinfant. How about that for a name? With a name like that, you better be good. The kicker from Stewart's Creek High School in Smyrna, Tennessee, 6'2", 175, physically kind of resembles Will Reichard, Alabama's current place kicker. And checking out a little bit of tape on Upton Bellinfant here in the last couple of days. A lot of potential on field goals and kickoffs. Leg talent, as it's talked about. He also has some experience punting the football. Maybe something he did more out of a necessity situation on the high school level. Uh, But I could certainly see him being a factor, again, where place kicking is concerned. Field goal, extra point, kickoffs. Uh, because he does have plus leg strength, uh, first and foremost. And you put him in the mix as a walk-on, a preferred walk-on, and you you see where it goes. A nice pickup from a special teams standpoint in Upton Bellinfant here in the last couple of days. And wanted to get into, again, some of those early Cincinnati-Alabama matchups with more of the focus on you know what 
folks are really going to be interested in leading up to this game. And I think for Alabama, a lot of that's going to start at the wide receiver position and going against these Cincinnati corners, Sauce Gardner, Kobe Bryant, two of the better corners in all of college football. I think a strong argument could be made and would be made that it's the top cornerback duo in all of college football and Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant. And as much as you hear about Sauce Gardner, maybe more so as a prospect at the next level, it was actually Kobe Bryant, the other corner, who took the Jim Thorpe Award here recently as the nation's top defensive back in all of college football. So for Alabama, you're looking at Jamison Williams and Slade Bolden, and then the questions come in with next man up. And as we've heard from Nick Saban here in recent days, we've heard from Bryce Young in recent days, uh, a a long list of candidates. Um, I don't envision the list being as extensive as it has been sort of talked about here in recent days. I think primarily you're looking at Trayshawn Holden and Ja'Cory Brooks. Those are the two guys that we've seen next players up uh, down the stretch of the season. Uh, Javon Baker mentioned here in the last few days. Uh, Jai Hall mentioned here in the last few days. And that's good. That's great to hear those names because, frankly, we've gone – extended stretches without hearing much about Javon Baker or Ajay Hall, or at least what we have heard hasn't been overly encouraging where not only the immediate future is concerned, but thinking about the big picture as well. And this is a big stretch for these younger receivers because, again, the transfer portal looms, just as was the case after spring practice back in April earlier this year. And the determination was correctly made that Alabama lacked the sort of explosiveness on the outside that it needed to sustain the passing attack that we've seen from the last three or four previous seasons. So they go out and they get a Jamison Williams. And look, we all know that there are still guys out there And there are guys who have been mentioned in connection with Alabama prominently. So whether it impacts this game, the championship game potentially, or just thinking about springboarding into the offseason and upcoming spring practice, this is a big stretch for Javon Baker, for Ajay Hall, and some of these guys beyond even Treshawn Holden and Ja'Cory Brooks to make the statement that, look, we can be those type of receivers here in the in the immediate future, looking ahead to 2022. So that's the matchup you're going to be looking at where the Alabama wide receivers are concerned. Watching Cincinnati, you know, Sauce Gardner and Bryant, you're going to hear so much about those guys. Uh, they play a 3-3-5 defense, Cincinnati does, and that puts Arquan Bush a six foot one, 190 pound nickelback on the field a good bit. And Bush will play in that slot corner position. And just matching it up by position, you know, I would feel like Bush could hang in against Slade Bolden. The problem for opposing defenses in this era of the passing game is that it doesn't just always match up with, okay, well, Slade Bolden positionally, that's where he'll match up every. No. Bill O'Brien, the Alabama offensive staff, is obviously going to try to get matchups against Bush, get Williams, get Ja'Cory Brooks, get some of these other guys in some, even Jalil Billingsley from the 
flexed out tight end position going against Bush because you watch the AAC championship game, which Cincinnati won here a few weeks ago. Uh, and the target was very much Arquan Bush for Houston. Dana Holgerson made it a point from the outset of that game to go after Arquan Bush and did so with a good bit of success. Look, Bryant and Gardner are great, but I'll also tell you this. Houston passed for 250 yards in that game and only needed 26 attempts to do it. So nearly 10 yards per pass attempt for Houston in that loss to Cincinnati. Even without John Mechie, I do think with an emphasis on the middle of the field, Alabama will be able to have some success. And look, Bryce Young and Alabama, they're not going to back down from Gardner and Bryant. They're going to go at those guys. Uh, and, you know, there's a chance Gardner and Bryant are going to win some of those matchups. But I just don't envision that scenario slowing down O'Brien or his quarterback from trying those two corners for Cincinnati. On the other side of the ball for Alabama, you're going to look at Jerome Ford, the Alabama transfer there at the running back position. Also, Desmond Ritter in his fourth year as the starter at quarterback for the Bearcats. 44 wins in 49 games for Desmond Ritter. That's a pretty good ratio. Uh, a lot of wins for Ritter, the six foot four, 215-pound senior. Big season for Jerome Ford. I'd say the move has worked out from Alabama to Cincinnati just fine for Jerome. Um, two seasons at Alabama, Jerome Ford, 151 rushing yards and three touchdowns on 31 carries. Uh, he split time a year ago in that Cincinnati offense, but he has very much been the guy uh, this year. Uh, AAC best, 1,243 rushing yards and 19 touchdowns, averaging 6.2 yards per carry. And from the Alabama perspective of that zone read run game matchup for the Crimson side, you know, once again, Henry Toa Toa, Christian Harris there at those inside linebacker positions, it'll start up front with gap integrity, Guys like Federian Mathis, guys like DJ Dale doing their jobs on early downs. Byron Young, Justin Aboigby, Tim Smith that we've seen more and more of down the stretch run of the season there inside in that heavy nickel. They're going to have to hang in there first and foremost, but you're going to get into the zone read and uh, Ritter does a really nice job in terms of decision making in the zone read, when to give, when to keep. Uh, And that's where Toa Toa and Christian Harris will need to step it up uh, and continue to play some good football. Henry's played well down the stretch. You know, Henry Toa Toa now with 101 tackles, he's the first Alabama defensive player with 100 or more tackles since Reuben Foster in 2016. So that's pretty pretty good company. Something else with Cincinnati that they like to do offensively in the passing game is they'll use their wide receivers to rub linebackers and man coverage and free up tight ends and backs. In fact, in that game against Houston a couple weeks ago, first play from scrimmage, get wheel route guy ready. Watch the wheel route guy. Need to go ahead and get him warmed up because We saw very early from Cincinnati in that game against Houston, Jerome Ford on the wheel route for 17 yards. First play from scrimmage for UC in that game. So you look at Cincinnati in this matchup from a rushing perspective. uh, The Bearcats have rushed for 200 yards or more in three of their last four games. You go beyond that, though. You dig a little bit deeper, 
and this is also a Cincinnati run game that was held to fewer than three and a half yards per carry by the likes of Indiana, Notre Dame, Tulane, and Tulsa. So uh, something to consider there as well. So just a couple, couple of matchups to consider as we look ahead to the Cotton Bowl clash between Cincinnati and Alabama one week from Friday at Jerry World. That's a 2.30 kickoff, by the way, on ESPN. We're going to take a quick break here on the Bama Online Podcast. When we come back, we'll get into some hoops talk. Alabama men's basketball, 9-3, and heading into the Christmas break. We'll do that and more when the Bama Online Podcast returns right after this. Okay, so we've talked a lot about home field apparel here on the program, and with good reason. You know, I was talking to my son, Evan, a couple of days ago, and he has taken advantage of that checkout code that we've given you here on the program, Bama247. Your first purchase there at homefieldapparel.com. When you enter Bama247 at checkout, you're going to get 15% off that initial buy there on the website. I was talking with Evan, and he was like, Dad, I got to tell you, it's not just that I dig the cool designs of gear that you can get there at homefieldapparel.com. Some of the retro stuff that they're doing there, the vintage look that is so popular these days, especially when it comes to the angry Alabama elephant or maybe Big Al from some previous eras, they've got all of that stuff for you at homefieldapparel.com. And as Evan told me, he said, Dad, this stuff isn't just great looking. It feels good. It's very, very comfortable. So you're going to want to take advantage, like Evan did, of that 15% off your initial purchase at homefieldapparel.com when you enter Bama247 at homefieldapparel.com. That's at checkout on that first purchase at homefieldapparel.com. Back with more of the Bama Online Podcast on a Wednesday, December the 22nd, 2021. Let's talk some Alabama men's basketball and the immediate aftermath of the Crimson Tide 79 the 78 loss to the Wildcats of Davidson. You know, look, Davidson did what it could down the stretch there to try to squander a five-point lead with less than a minute a minute to go. And you know, Alabama goes on a 9-0 run to end the game, but came up a point short after the Quinterly free throw miss there with four seconds to go. And it was interesting, too, because Alabama found itself in that unfamiliar place of being short on team fouls when it needed – when it needed team fouls there late in the game, uh, you just don't see many men's games in general anymore where teams have that many fouls to give. But, you know, some points we made in the preview of this game on the previous pod and from the Davidson perspective, Young Jung Lee, the 6'7 wing guard, came into the game averaging 18 points per contest. He had had 32 and a win over Charlotte a few weeks ago. Foster Lawyer. The point guard, veteran point guard, had come in with a hot hand, having scored a combined 59 points in the previous games, previous two games for the Wildcats. And so you went into the game Tuesday night thinking, these are a couple of guys that can inflict some damage uh, working from this motion offense. And again, as we talked about earlier in the week, this wasn't going to be a Davidson team that was just going to walk the ball up the court. They were going to be opportunistic in their transition opportunities, and they did that. Uh, This was a game that really wasn't played 
largely in transition, fast break points for this game. Davidson out actually outscored Alabama six to four in transition. So uh, in some ways, it was a game played the way Davidson would like it, but a team offensively that doesn't waste a lot of time, doesn't waste possessions, uh, initiates possessions quickly, gets into its stuff, and very much is all bought in, completely bought in, in what Bob McKillop has employed for so many years. But you look at Lawyer, you look at Lee, and they combine for 28 points in the game. That's about what you would have anticipated. I think with those two guys, Davidson's two leading scorers, you would have figured 30 combined from Lee and Lawyer. They end up with 28. What kind of got you a little bit was that Michael Jones, the other perimeter player, wing guard type, to go along with Lawyer on the ball and Lee off the ball, he goes for 21 on 8 of 11 shooting, 3 of 3 from 3, and then something you really didn't expect was Luka Brajkovic going for 22 points in the post on 10 of 16 shooting, 7 rebounds for Brajkovic, made his last four shots of the game. They were all ended up proving to be very, very big. So, okay, Lawyer and Lee got their 28. Not that big a deal. What you couldn't afford to have happen if you were Alabama was a combination of, say, Jones and Brajkovic combining for 43. And that's the way it played out. This is a Davidson team, as we talked about earlier in the week, doesn't really get much at all from its bench. In fact, just four bench points. You expected Alabama to outscore Davidson significantly when it came to bench points, and that was the case. Alabama 17-4 to the edge off the bench. But efficiency, efficiency with Davidson, that word that you hear, that adjective you hear used in relation to Bob McKillop teams, very much in play Tuesday night. Two to one assist to turnover ratio for the Wildcats. 22 assists on 31 buckets, just 11 turnovers. And so the Wildcats hang on to get the job done. Not a Davidson team, as we told you, that gets to the line a lot. But when they got there, they made them count. Five of five from the line for Davidson. Alabama just six free throws made on eight attempts. I thought Alabama would have an opportunity to really do some damage from the free throw line. Didn't really play out that way for the Crimson Tide. So Alabama drops to 9-3 and three on the season in non-conference play and now prepares itself to make a run into SEC play. Is 9-3 and three about what you expected heading into the Christmas break? And that's understanding. We'd say the end of non-conference play, there's still a pretty big one out there for Alabama in late January when Baylor visits Tuscaloosa in non-conference action as a part of that SEC Big 12 challenge. Um, I think you could safely say you didn't expect a loss to Davidson because, well, you didn't have Davidson on the schedule until just a few days ago. So you look at the three losses for Alabama at 9-3. and three. Two of those have come to legendary coaches, Rick Patino of Iona, and Bob McKillop of Davidson, the third loss to a Memphis team in a game that, before the season anyway, most figured could go either way, especially following the quick turnaround from Houston in Tuscaloosa to going on the road to Memphis the following Tuesday. I think it's the finish, though, 
to non-conference play that is most concerning for Alabama teams. You know, after the win over Houston two weekends ago, Alabama went one and two in the three games that followed, both those losses on the heels of Saturday wins involving quick turnarounds to Tuesday's game. So nine and three, you look at the season in sort of quadrants, I guess. But this preseason leading up to SEC play, I guess you could call it, two and one Alabama went at the ESPN Events Invitational down in Lake Buena Vista. I don't think two and one is too far out of the realm of what a lot of folks anticipated for Alabama in that event. Now, if you had known going into it that Kansas was going to lose in the opening round down there, I think a lot of Alabama people would have felt like it was an opportunity missed in terms of the potential of sweeping through that event at 3-0. and And here's a pretty interesting comparison to a year ago. You know, Alabama, with just eight pre-SEC games because of the COVID situation a year ago, Alabama was 5-3 and three overall going into SEC play. That team ended up winning damn near 30 games, made a trip to the Sweet 16. I mean, you had some concerns about that team at this time a year ago. Remember, you had John Petty and James Rojas suspended in the lead-up to SEC play. I think what worries you right now, if you're Nate Oates, and you heard Nate even mention this in the postgame Tuesday night, is the maturity level of this team. There isn't a Herb Jones that's there to steady the ship. And really, this team doesn't have many excuses where maturity is concerned. This is an older team. This is a guard-centric team, as we know. And look at the guys Alabama has at that those spots, not just in terms of their production potential, but how much basketball they've now played at Alabama. Javon Quinterly, Jaden Shackelford, Keon Ellis. Now, these are guys that have played a lot. Yes, you do have some new faces that are in this rotation, but for the most part, at the positions that this team will lean on the most in terms of its big-picture ceiling, um, a lot of experience. And so the question becomes, can this team find the level of consistency the one before it reached in league play a year ago? A year ago, Alabama started SEC play by winning 10 in a row. So I think you've got more questions going into SEC play, especially with the way the lead-up to league action came to a close here, where intangibles are concerned than anything else. Saying, look, if you want a scouting report on the Tennessee Vols, well, Wednesday night, you got a great opportunity, 6 o'clock Central on ESPN2. Tennessee taking on Arizona in Knoxville at Thompson Bowling Arena. So uh, Alabama cranks up SEC play uh, against Tennessee one week from tonight. Uh, Pretty interesting stretch as Alabama gets into SEC play with Tennessee. That is an 8 p.m. Central tip one week from tonight. Uh, That game will air on ESPN2. And then Alabama doesn't have a weekend game. It has a week off before going to Florida to take on the Gators down there in Caltown. That, too, will be an ESPN2 broadcast, maybe ESPNU, 
either one, ESPN2, ESPNU, that's a 6 p.m. tip. Then you go on the road to Missouri for game three of league play. And then in game four, the Auburn Tigers visit Coleman Coliseum on Tuesday, January the 11th. So setting the stage for you a little bit as Nate Oates' team makes its way into SEC play. That's going to do it for a Wednesday edition of the Bama Online Podcast. Hey, hoping you and yours have a safe and joyous Christmas. Merry Christmas to each and every one of you out there. Thank you so much for making BamaOnline.com the destination choice for Alabama fans really around the world. We can't thank you enough for that. We hope that you'll spend time with us there on the Roundtable, the premium message board of choice at BamaOnline.com. And again, the podcast here. If you haven't subscribed already, that's as easy of a gift as you can give yourself. It's free, simple as a couple of clicks. And if you'd leave us a rating and a review while you're there, that would be the gift that keeps on giving all year round, Clark, where we're concerned anyway. Merry Christmas, everybody. And we'll catch you again real soon right here on the Bama Online Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.